so glad to be here today with you, so glad I get to do this, so glad that you showed up. Um, for those of you that are new here, I'm not the pastor of the church, so if you looked online, you saw the pastor was a guy named Joseph Vest, that's not me, uh, my name's Cliff Marshall, and um, Joseph is on a vacation doing some family visiting, he and uh, Miriam and Elise headed out to Texas to see Miriam's family out there, and if you would, just uh, as you think about it, pray for them, pray specifically for Miriam. Her, uh, her dad uh, is in the first stages of Alzheimer's, and so it's just, uh, so they're going out there, it's not really like a vacation, you know, they're, they're going out there to, to minister to their family, and um, some of you have, some of you have sat by the bedside with a, a parent or a grandparent that's uh, dealt with that, and you know how tragic that is. So just be thinking about them, pray for them as they come to your mind, especially for Miriam, uh, you know, as, as uh, she has to see her, her dad go through that. But also, let's pray that they will get some rest, too, and, and we'll be able to enjoy some vacation, uh, much-needed vacation. I want to encourage you to pray for your pastor every day. Um, it, there's, there's just, uh, there's a pressure that goes along with being the pastor of a local church that's kind of unique. I'm not saying nobody else has pressure, but it's a kind of a unique deal. And so, uh, so pray for him, uh, as you think about it, I would just encourage you to pray for him daily, uh, if you would do that. So, so we're here, I'm here today, I'm here today and next week. So I just want to warn you. So like, if you're sitting here now and you're like, good night, i got to listen to that fool again today. And so you, if you want to go ahead and make plans for next week, it won't hurt my feelings or whatever. But the good thing is after two weeks, I'm gone, right? And you get, back, you get your regular pastor back and uh, you, can enjoy, uh, you can enjoy listening to him. And, uh, and so today we're going to be in two passages of scripture. So if you've got a Bible, I want to go ahead and tell you to find one. Um, it's everything's going to be on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. But we're going to be in, in 1 Timothy for the first part of the message, and then we're going to be in Luke later, but 1 Timothy is in the New Testament towards the back. All the T's are together, Thessalonians, uh, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, they're all together there. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and so if you've got a phone with an app, you can go ahead and find that, or if you've got a, a Bible with, with uh, pages, you can go ahead and find that as well. So I want to start with just a little confession about my personal life, and, uh, and that is that right now, if you followed me to my house, which is not far from here, uh, and walked into my garage, you would see that my garage is out of control. It's just right now it's out of control. I can get one car in our two-car garage, which is all we've ever gotten in there. Um, and I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, in, a, in South Carolina, only 4% of two-car garages actually have two cars in them. Now, that's a stat I just made up. There's, there's no, no one's done a study on that. But doesn't that seem like that would probably be the truth? I mean, most of you, most of, you, most of us, or most people that have a two-car garage, nobody's got two cars in a two-car garage. You, if you do, that means you're storing your junk somewhere else. Most of you are like me, and you've got just a space big enough for your car and, and right now, um, if I don't do something soon, we're going to have to sell our car and get a smaller car because the size of our car is about to not fit in our garage anymore. And it's starting to drive me a little bit crazy. I got just a little bit of, a, of some OCD tendencies to me, and it's starting to get on my nerves. And, I, and, and as soon as it cools down a little bit, we're going to have some serious garage stuff going on. I'm going to be throwing some things away and cleaning out, and it's going to make me feel better. But, but the reason we've gotten to that point is because we just have stuff, right? We've got stuff. We've got things that, there's things in there that we bought that broke, 
and I'm sitting it in there like I'm going to fix it. I know I'm not going to fix it, but it's in there because I'm thinking, well, you know, this Keurig that it's, just, you know, by the way, it's our second one that broke, and now we're on our third one. I've got beef with the Keurig people, but I've got it sitting in there like I'm going to go out one day and break that thing down and just become a barista and be able to fix it. I know I'm not going to. And so it's full of this junk, and and our lives oftentimes, really, it seems like that when, when we look around, we've just got more stuff than we know what to do with. You, If you're like me, you've probably got a storage building or a basement or an attic or a garage that's just full of stuff that you don't really need anymore, that at some point in your life you had to have. It was really important. And I'm not even going to get into rental storage. Thankfully, I don't have that, but I know... There's a, that's a big business, and, and there's a huge one being built where Tom Duncan Pontiac used to be, and here's what I know about that. Probably about six months after it's built, it's going to be full. People are, are going to have rented that stuff and just be dumping their stuff in there. So in a lot of ways, we're all kind of hoarders a little bit, I think, uh, in our country. We've got this problem with stuff, and so, so uh, I want us to talk about that today, just to talk about what the Scripture has to say, the guys that wrote the Bible, they had some stuff to say about possessions and how, what our attitude should be like when it comes to our possessions. And, and before we get into that, I, I, I want to tell you, uh, just paint a little picture for you. So there was a, one time I was watching television, and there was a story on how to survive, like, tragedy in the wild or whatever. And there was a, it was talking about if you were ever attacked by a grizzly bear. Now, those of you that live around here, you're familiar with black bears, um, and, and, they're, and they're getting closer to us. I saw some video just last night where there was a bear in a tree somewhere over in Greenville. And so, uh, so we know about black bears, but grizzly bears, they don't live around here. They live out west, other places, but they're bigger than black bears, they're more aggressive than black bears, and they will eat people. It's kind of one of their deals that they will do. And so it was talking about if you're ever out in the wilderness and you get attacked by a grizzly bear, and it's one of my goals to never be out where a grizzly bear can attack me. That's just one of my goals in life. So, but if you are and a grizzly bear comes after you, do you know what it says to do if a grizzly bear is going to attack you? You probably know this. Somebody know? What does it tell you to do if a grizzly bear attacks you? What? Play dead. That's right. My first question is, who did the research on that? <laughs> but the other, th- the other thing about that is, is that it, it really seems, um, the fancy word for that is counterintuitive, or as we would say around here, that doesn't seem like it makes no sense. It, 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 because it seems like if a grizzly bear is coming after you, you should run, you should climb up a tree, you should pick up a rock and knock out the guy next to you so the bear can eat him. You, know, you should do anything at other than play dead. So the thing you're supposed to do, the very thing you're supposed to do, feels like the most unnatural thing to do. And, and what we're going to talk about today in terms of possessions will seem unnatural. And here's why that is. Oftentimes, maybe all of the time, the things that we read in Scripture that God has commanded us to do that will make our lives on this earth the best they can be feel like the opposite of what we want to do, feel like the opposite of what comes natural to us to do. And so when we read in Scripture where it says that if someone has wronged you, you're supposed to go and freely forgive them, that doesn't, that's not natural. 
That doesn't seem natural to us, but that's what Scripture commands. And so there's so much good stuff in the Bible that tells us how we should live in relationship to other, one another, how we should live in relationship to our stuff, which is what we're going to talk about today, and it, it doesn't seem like the natural thing to do. And here's why that is. Because we all have hearts that if left to ourselves... Our hearts turn to ourselves, and they're selfish, and they're all about us, and they're not about the things of God. That's, what, that's who we are made up of. And the only hope for us is the transformation of our hearts that can only be done by Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and what he did for us through the victory of the resurrection. That's the only thing that can change our hearts to become the people that God wants us to be. We can never try hard enough to be good enough. We can never, uh, you know, think good enough thoughts to change who we are. The only way our hearts are transformed is through the sacrifice of Jesus and us giving into that and allowing the work of Jesus to take place in our hearts. But even when that happens, so that, that has happened in my life, and it's not because I'm a great person, I'm a terrible, sinful person. It's only because of the grace of Jesus that my heart is being transformed. But it's, it's being transformed. It's not completely transformed. And so there's still a sin nature in me. There's still a part of me that wants to run towards the things that feel most natural. And those things that feel most natural are almost always opposed to what Scripture teaches us. And so today when we talk about stuff, or if I was standing here today talking to you about relationships, or if I was standing here today talking to you about how to operate on your job, understand that what comes natural to you is usually not the best thing. That what Jesus wants for us is different. And he wants to do that work beginning on the inside of us. So, so let's read 1 Timothy 6, and I'm going to read 6 through 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 6 through 10. This will be on the, on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Don't worry about it. It says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Here's the big idea today that I want you to understand, and that's this. Wanting it all can destroy you. Wanting it all can destroy you. The song you heard at the beginning, those of you that are over the age of 40 recognize that that was the band Queen uh, wrote and sang that song, I want it all, I want it now. And that, those words could really be kind of a, a, a motto for our society, for our culture. We all seem to want everything, and not only do we want it, we want it as fast as we can get it, and we don't want to have to wait for it. One of the things that has ruined my life, but I love, is Amazon Prime. And so now, you know, in, at, the, at, the, at a whim, used to be if I, there was something I wanted, I'd have to go to like seven stores till I found it, 
Then I'd have to buy it. I'd have to load it up and carry it home. Now I pull out my phone, and I'm like, oh, there it is. Boom. You know, just put my thumbprint on there, and two days later, it's sitting out on my porch, right? And I don't even know how much I paid for it half the time. It's like, oh, that'll come out later. I'll figure that out, you know, at some point. And so that, that's the way we live our lives. It's like we want this, and we want it right now. And so this scripture here, as we read this, and by the way, this scripture, 1 Timothy, was written by the Apostle Paul, and he was writing this to a young pastor. So, so understand that what we're reading here today is words of advice from an older man to a younger man, which I think that's important for us to, to remember. Because I think sometimes if, if we're living our lives and being transformed by Jesus the way we should, the older we get, it seems like stuff becomes a little bit less important to us. If, if we're really being transformed like that. I know that it seems like to my parents and to my, my, um, my uh, Sherry's parents, stuff is not as near as important to them as it is to me, and it's certainly not as important to them as it is to my kids and to my, my nieces and, and my niece and nephews. And, and so Paul was writing this to a young pastor, and what he says there is that, that he says in verse 6 through 8, he says, but godliness with contentment, is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of this world. I want you to understand today that having stuff is okay. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you you shouldn't own a house, you shouldn't have a car, that you shouldn't order anything ever off of Amazon. It doesn't say that. So having stuff is okay. The, the problem comes is when we cannot be content with those things, when we're constantly running after whatever is next. And so we have to learn how to be content with the things that God has already blessed us with. And, and the, the struggle with that is, is that we live in a culture where everything in our culture is set up to keep us from being content. There are advertising agencies that companies pay millions and probably even billions of dollars to every year so you will not be content. Taco Bell right now is creating the next Chalupa, that they are going to begin advertising during the football season, that they're going to tell you unless you run out right then and get that Chalupa, your life is incomplete. Kia is, is coming up with the next commercial for their latest car. Whoever it is, at, there's a new iPhone coming out in September, the iPhone Ocho. Actually, it's called the 8, but I'm going to call it the Ocho. And, and the new iPhone is coming out, and there are those of you right now that you're thinking, man, this iPhone 7 with the, the 30,000 pixel camera is the stupidest thing ever because I want the new one, right? And that's the way we live our lives. And, and our culture is set up to tell us that you can't be happy unless you have the next big thing. But I love this verse here where he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And so Paul is telling Timothy there, if you can ever get to the point in your life where you can be satisfied with what God's already given you, that's a great gain for you. You will find a peace in life that you can't explain. You, if you can one day say, you know what, I'm good with this car right here. I don't need another car. Yeah, it's, uh, it's got a skip in it, but I'm going to go let somebody look at that. Or, you know, if you're like Tim Kemp, I'm going to fix that myself. Uh, actually, Tim doesn't fix himself. He pays somebody else to do that, don't you, Tim? Yeah, he just gave me a look like, I don't fix that stuff myself. But he's got people for that. So when you get to the point where you can be content with what you have, Paul says that's a great gain to us. 
that, that it, it frees us up to be able to do other things. Now, one of the things that I love about this verse is it says there, uh, contentment. Did you know that that word, and, and I, I didn't know this until I researched it, so it's not like I just had this knowledge uh, in, my, in my brain on its own. But that word contentment is only used one other time uh, in the New Testament. And so if you look over at uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it's, it's going to be on the screen. You can see this. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Again, this is the Apostle Paul. Now, that word contentment is translated differently this time because of the context. It says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So the word that's in one place is translated contentment, here is translated sufficiency. So, so what the meaning of what Paul's saying here to Timothy is when he says godliness with contentment is great gain, he's saying that what God has given you is sufficient. It's enough. If you didn't get anything else, it's enough. It's sufficient. And, and what I would love to be able to do in my life and what I would love for you to be able to do and for us to be able to do as believers, because I think it would make a huge impact on the community and the culture we live in, is if we could all get to the point where we said, you know what, if I die in the house that I have right now, I'm good with that. I don't need another one. If, if this car that I've got, if that's the last one that comes along, and I've got I've to milk this thing out for the next 25 years, and just keep putting new tires on it and adding batteries and getting it overhauled. If that's all I've got for the next 25 years, I'm good with that. If somehow I have to make this pair of blue jeans work until they wear out, and then I'm able to scrounge up enough money to go to Walmart and buy another pair just so that people won't see my rear end walking down the street. If, if that's all there is, then I'm good with that. I'm able to be content with that. I would love to get to that point to be able to live like that. And you know how we, can, how we can get there? What it says there in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. It says, and God is able to make all, say the word with me, grace. Say it again. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The only way we're going to be content is if we begin to understand that we have been given great grace from our Heavenly Father. What does grace mean? Grace is a reward that we don't deserve. That's what it is. So what we deserve, what I deserve, what you deserve, what we all deserve, is we deserve punishment from God. In fact, there's scripture throughout the Bible that talks about the wrath of God, and that the, that the wrath of God is, is, is due for us because of our sin because of our sinfulness. Not because that we're you know, worse or better than our neighbor, but because every part of us, if left to its own devices, we will always choose selfishness. We will always choose the sinful choice. And that instead of pouring out wrath, pouring out punishment on us, and just burning the earth up with a heavenly fire that we can't explain, that instead the, the response from our Heavenly Father has been to send Jesus to the cross to be a sacrifice for us. And so his death on the cross, and then he offers us eternal life. That's what grace is. 
Grace is something we don't deserve. It's a gift freely given that we don't deserve. And what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he said that God will make all grace abound to you and then that will be sufficient. That will be the only thing that we can ever find contentment in. Because if we try to find contentment in our home, we try to find contentment in our cars, our boats, all that kind of good stuff, if we try to find contentment in that, it's always going to leave us empty. That the only thing we can find true contentment in is the grace of God. Being content can only happen through grace. Being content can only happen through grace. Now look back at 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy 6. So after 7 and 8, he says, 8, he says, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. And, and you know, you're probably thinking, well, it depends on the clothing, actually. You know, what the clothing is, whether I'll be content with it or not. And then verse 9, but those who desire to be rich. All right, pay attention real quick. Did you notice there that it didn't say, but those who are rich fall into temptation? By the way, did you know none of us are rich? If I, if I called you all up here and, and put a microphone in your hand and said, hey, are you rich? You'd be like, no, man. Nobody ever admits to being rich. I'm convinced that if Bill Gates walked in here and we said, are you rich? He'd say, no, I'm not rich. It's like a sin in America to admit you're rich. But did you realize that we actually are all very rich when you compare us to the rest of the world? That the, the person in here who lives in America, if you own your own home and you drive a car and you have a job, even if it's a low-paying job, you're more wealthy than about 85 to 90% of the earth, of everybody on earth, just because you live in America. It's a pretty cool deal for us, isn't it? And so, but it says here in verse 9, it says, those who desire to be rich, not those who are rich. Because a lot of times it's easy for someone like me. I have to work hard for the money I make. So do you. You have to work hard for the money you make. If you quit your job tomorrow and you didn't do anything in, a, in I say, a year, but really in about three days, you'd be in trouble, wouldn't you? There'd be problems if you quit working. And so we have to work hard for our money. And so it's easy for us to say, well, man, it's those rich people. Those, they're the ones that, that, you know, they're the ones that have to worry about that stuff. But Paul says here, just the desire to be rich. Just, you can be the poorest guy. You can be homeless living on the street. But if you have this great desire that the thing you want more than anything else, I just want to be rich. I want to be rich. I want to be a billionaire. You know, like that song was. If, if, that's, if that's your thing that you want so bad, it says that you will fall into temptation, that it will lead to destruction. Wanting it all can destroy you. Wanting it all can destroy you. And so one of the things that we have to understand is that if we're going to be content, that contentment is resting in the grace of God and wanting to be rich is being restless in the face of God. Contentment is resting in the grace of God, and wanting to be rich is being restless in the face of God. God has already offered us so much, and if all we say to him is, hey, this isn't enough, it's not enough, it's not enough, I need more, I need more, I need more. Now, let me stop real quick and just just time out and tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying don't save money. Uh, In fact, There's a ton of scripture that will tell you that if you're wise, you will save money. But what we're talking about here is where does contentment come from? That you can, there there can be a guy that has $25 million 
and he can be content. There can be a guy that has $25 and he can be content. There can be a guy that has $25 and he'll never be content and a guy that has $25 million and will never be content. And it's about what's going on in our heart. And that's why I want to go to the next passage of Scripture and then we're going to be done. Luke chapter 12, this is the words of Jesus. Because I want you to understand that God's not trying to ruin your fun. He's not trying to keep you from buying a boat. In fact, if you buy a boat, you better invite me to come out with you on it. And then we'll just celebrate the goodness of how God blessed you with that boat, right? But he's not trying to keep you from having fun or buy a boat or do something like that. What God wants is he wants a better life for you and one where you're able to bless other people. And this is what Jesus said, Luke chapter 12, 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So God takes care of the birds, and, and Jesus is reminding us, we're way, way more important than birds. He's going to take care of us. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. I'm reading this out of the English Standard Version, the New International Version, Luke 12:29. I like the way it says it there. And what it says in 12:29, it says, And do not set your heart on what you will eat, and do not worry about it. Do not set your heart. See, contentment is about what's in your heart, not what's in your hand. By the way, that wasn't in the notes. Martha Fawcett before the service said, you're talking about contentment today. She said, this is something you said one time, and she had it written down. And that was good, so I added it in right there. But I think it's true, and I think it goes with what we're saying today. Contentment's about what's in your heart, not what's in your hand. But so often, it's so much easier for us to make it about what we've got in the bank, about whether the house is big enough, whether everything's fixed, whether the car is running, whether the kid's stuff is paid for, whether we've got the clothes we want on, and all that kind of stuff. But that always leads to wanting the next thing. And the clothes you bought today that you just thought were awesome when you went to Kohl's, this time next year you're going to look in your closet and say, I don't have anything to wear. I don't have a thing to wear. Right? And the car that you bought last week, that was, you know, it was, man, the greatest F-350 that you could ever imagine, and it's the most awesome thing, and it's got all the chrome on it and everything, and about a year from now, it's going to have some scratches in it if you actually use it for work and that kind of stuff, and you're going to say, man, i got to get a new truck. This, this thing ain't worth anything anymore. Because we will constantly run after those things until we get to the point where we can understand that it's about what's in our heart and not to set our heart on those things. 
So I want to ask you towards the end here, are you possessed by your possessions? Is that what drives you? And, and I want to ask you a couple questions. So if you're taking notes, this is something you can write down because this is stuff you can think about later. And maybe you and your, your husband or your wife can go home and y'all can talk about it and you can say, man, I wish Cliff hadn't have said that today. And, uh, but here's a couple questions for you. So you can write these down. Have you already decided what is the next thing you will buy? Is it already in your mind? It's like, yep, I got, and you're probably thinking, Cliff, I've already decided the next 13 things I'm going to buy, and I've got them listed in my notes app on my phone right here, and here's, here they are. Have you already decided the next thing you'll buy? Now, I'm not saying that's a terrible thing, but I'm just saying if that's what's driving you, it, it's just a good question to ask. When you get extra money, what is the first thing you think to do with it? What is the first thing you think to do when you get extra money? It's like, man, and some of you are like, extra money? I have never had any extra money. But, let, you know, let's say you walked home today and, and, you know, walked in the house and you found a $100 bill that you had forgotten about. You know, what's the first thing you think? Yep, we're going to go buy something right now. You know, what's the first thing you think to do with extra money? Here's another question for you. In the past, what have you been willing to go into debt for? Now, I didn't even get into debt today. That's a whole nother like seven messages. But in the past, what have you been willing to go into debt for? Today you can go into debt for everything. You can go into debt for a pair of shoes if you really want to. We live in a society where you can do that. What are you willing to go into debt for? Here's another question. Do you have storage issues at your house? I already confess that I do, so I'm right there with you. Do you have storage issues at your house? Are you sitting here thinking, we gotta, we got to rent another space to put all this stuff in that we just can't get rid of? And then the last question I want you to think about before, uh, before we close it up is this. How much do you give away and what do you give it to? How much do you give away and what do you give it to? You notice that I didn't talk about money. I talked about possessions. But you know we don't get possessions without money. And sometimes we put buying the next possession before we put uh, emphasis on if we're going to give away some of our money. Scripture's real specific about giving. It gives you even amounts and percentages that I'm not going to get into today, but the next time I preach here, I'm going to get into it all over. I'm going to make y'all so mad because then I can do it and you don't have to be mad at your pastor. But how much do you give away and what do you give it to? And what's the quality of what you're giving away? If it's not money, if you're giving away your possession, let me tell you something. The church and the nonprofit, they don't want your ratty old couch that is sagging because you've been watching football on it for 27 years. Take that thing to the dump, right, and give away something good. Now, we're going to close with prayer, and um, as we do that, I want to, um, just want to mention this. So we talked about stuff today. We talked about possessions. And um, all of that is important. But it's only important in the context of whether or not um, the, the most important possession that you have, which is your heart and your soul, if that belongs to Jesus or not. That's the most important thing. Because, see, all your stuff belongs to him anyway. You think it's yours. 
It's not yours. You didn't. You're like, man, Cliff, I earned that. Yeah, who gave you the ability to earn it? God did. So the house, all that stuff, it's already his anyway. But there's something that you own that, that you can withhold from him, and that is your heart and your soul. And, and Jesus has made a sacrifice to offer that grace that we talked about in the message more than once. And so if, if, I want to just close today by saying to you that you can get your possessions in order, you can get your bank accounts in order, you can get all that stuff in order. But if you don't have the transforming work of the Holy Spirit and Jesus working in your heart to change you into the man or the woman that you're supposed to be, if you don't have that grace, none of that other is going to matter. So if you want to know more about that, if you've got questions about that, you can talk with me after the service, you can talk with Chris after the service or Dwayne or, or uh, just grab somebody that was up here on stage from the band and say, hey, I want to ask you a question about this. And they would love to talk with you about that. So I'm going to pray. When I'm done praying, we're going to take up the offering. And today, if you came not prepared to give and you're a member of this church, and after I preached right now, you should probably give because I just made you feel guilty about it. No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't want you to give because you feel guilty. I want you to give because you want to. That's what Scripture says. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for giving us the opportunity to gather here, for giving us a free place to worship, for giving us a building to be in, and thank you most of all uh, for the grace that you give us freely. Thank you for how you teach us about it in your word. And I ask that beginning in my heart and in the heart of all of these folks here, that we would be content with grace, that we would uh, be content with what you've given us, that we would continue to work hard, we would continue to try to, to be contributing members of the society we live in, but that we would try as hard as we can uh, to, to glorify you, even with the things we buy and with the things we decide to get rid of and the things we decide to keep. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.